This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I loved this conversation with Danny Marino. What a fun, fun guest for the podcast. Danny is a sub ultra trail runner. She's a four time Team USA member, a two time Xterra world trail champ, a USA sky running classic champ. Uh, she placed third at OCC, which is a really big deal. She was the first American to podium there. If you don't know what OCC is, she's going to explain it to you uh, in the podcast. She's going to give us some good trail information in this podcast. But it is the ultimate challenge for middle distance ultra runners. The OCC is the 50K category final for the UTMB World Series. Okay. She's going to actually go back to that this year. She placed third at the Marathon Dumont Blanc. She was the fifth woman at the Golden Trail World Series in 2021. She's from LA, went to the University of Santa Barbara, walked away from running for a little bit, and then found her way right back to her love of running. She's going to tell us how she found the trails. And this woman is an adventure seeker. I've never, I don't know that I've ever met someone as adventurous. as her like from skydiving motorcycle riding exploring up and down mountains basically anything you can think of that is adrenaline seeking she's probably done it uh she's actually well when this episode comes out she'll have just got married she was so kind she recorded this episode the week of her wedding i couldn't believe it uh but i felt a real connection with her just a genuine kind curious smart adventurous woman oh uh recently i don't want to forget to mention this she debuted her the road marathon at boston uh she did come ridiculously close to qualifying for the olympic trials which was her goal and uh she reflects on that in this episode and will she try again before the trials You'll have to listen to the episode to hear her answer to that. She's sponsored by Adidas. She lives in Mammoth Lakes, California. And uh, listen, if you're not following her on Instagram, you should go do that. It's Dan underscore Yell underscore A. She's awesome. I love this conversation. Uh, If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening so that potential new listeners can find us. If you've been listening to this podcast for several years or from the beginning, you've heard me say that 975 times by now, Um, but it is seriously, it is a huge help in potential new listeners finding us. So um, I check that pretty frequently. So I read every single review and I appreciate you if you have done that. Uh, If you want to learn more about this podcast and our network, just go to sandyboyproductions.com. I do also host a podcast that is geared towards parenting kind of more lifestyle-y and it's a lot of fun. It's over there. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And uh, if you know me, if you follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626, that's my Instagram, you know that I just kind of like share it all over there and um, 
there's definitely a lot of very imperfect parenting and chaos that goes on at my house. And so uh, why is everyone yelling as a platform and podcast where I can share that and also ask questions. And it's a place where I hope you land to feel supported and encouraged in your own parenting journey and life. So um, check it out if you haven't done that yet. Again, it's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? Go check it out and you can find our Instagram page as well, Why Is Everyone Yelling? All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Danny. All right, friends, today on the podcast, we have Danny Marino on the show. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're bringing you big Oprah vibes here because on Oprah's <laughs> podcast, she always has birds chirping in the background. And I don't know if they're real or not, but we're bringing you real life bird chirping. <laughs> they're definitely real. They're called, they're some sort of swallow and they are really good actually because I'm right by the little Tennessee River right now in my parents' house. And uh, they eat all the bugs off of the oh. top of the river and they mo- they actually move incredibly fast. I think they can fly like over 100 miles per hour. Um, so beautiful and also very effective. <laughs> Needed, bugs. necessary for the summer bugs. Yeah. Uh, we were sitting on our back porch the other day with some of our neighbors and um, there was like some birds flying around and my neighbor gets out his phone and he's like, sir, like trying to figure out which, what kind of bird it is. He's got, do you have this app? He's got some bird app. And I was like, oh, peak adult. We are using bird apps to figure out which birds are which. I don't have that app, but I should definitely get it because <laughs> here I get woken up by what sounds like various car alarms, you know, when the, the birds start to imitate the different car alarms. And uh, yeah, I'm like, what? Which car is going off? I was like, oh, that's some of the birds. <laughs> <laughs> I used to get so annoyed with birds waking me up when I was younger in college and like I did, I wanted to sleep in. Um, now I'm just up early enough that it does I like wake up with the birds, but I also start sleeping with earplugs and it has been life changing for me. Yeah, I should definitely consider that. Um, but right now I'm just kind of in that novel where it's, oh, it's so lovely getting woken up at 4 a.m. every day by birds. <laughs> okay, so you're in Tennessee where your parents live because you're getting married, but you're from L.A. Have they recently moved to Tennessee? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles, and then even more specifically Downey, California. And um, my parents moved out here just before the pandemic, actually. Uh, they had both retired um, and were looking for just like a different change of pace from being in Los Angeles pretty much their entire lives. Um, and yeah, it's kind of crazy. I never thought growing up I would get married <laughs> in anywhere besides California. Um, but it's just so beautiful by their house. And they live right on what's called the Little Tennessee River. But if you saw it, you would be curious as to why it's called Little because it's mm. really quite big. Um, and so, yeah, I'm getting married along the river this weekend, actually. This weekend. She's like running through her house before we get on the call. She's like, sorry, there's 20 people here. I'm getting married this weekend. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you made time for me this week. I feel so honored. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the madhouse right now. I keep telling people it kind of feels like cheaper by the dozen, yeah. like the beginning scene or Home Alone when one person walks into the house and five people walk out and vice versa. Uh, but it's really fun. I, I feel like I grew up with constant chaos. And yeah. so it feels right at home for me. Do you have like siblings? Yeah, I'm uh, one of five, actually. Um, and so three of my brothers are here right now. And then my sister should be arriving today. Okay. So yeah. you really did grow up with chaos, which yeah. that's a really big family for living in L.A. 
Yeah, it was quite big, and we kind of all ended up doing a lot of the same stuff just to make it a little bit easier. So, you know, we all played soccer, and then we'd get dropped off at the same park and meet our different friends and everything just yeah. to make it a little bit more manageable for my parents. What did your parents do that you lived in L.A.? Um, they were actually both part of LAPD. Um, so my mom worked in burglary and auto theft as an undercover detective. And then my dad also started out as a detective. And then he ended up working on uh, cybersecurity and cyber crimes. Okay, wow. Okay, so uh, you found running pretty young. You went to University of Santa Barbara. I, I mean, like, what a dreamy place to live. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, L.A., I thank it, you know, tremendously a million times over for the morale and I feel character it provided me with. I just was surrounded by a lot of tremendously hardworking kind of blue collar um, people, uh, especially with our family, friends and everything. Uh, With that, that being said, like I always was craving being a little bit closer to the ocean or the mountains. And so when I was doing my different various recruiting trips, I went to you know, a handful of different colleges. But when I saw Santa Barbara, I just knew it was the place that I wanted to be. And I felt that, you know, for my next stage of life would provide me with the environment that I was craving, you know, that I felt I needed to become, uh, in quotes, an adult, because you realize (laughs) once you graduate college, (laughs) there's still a lot more adult life. Um, But yeah, in that moment in my life, I'm like, this is where I'm going to become a woman. Um, (laughs) And so that's why I ended up there, or one of the many reasons I ended up there. And you're getting married this weekend. That, so where'd you meet your hu- your soon-to-be husband? How long have you been together? Yeah, so I met my husband, Mike uh, Carroll. Uh, he, we actually met at our tech company called Procore Technologies. It's a cloud-based construction software um, located in Carpinteria. He had actually gone to UCSB around the same time I did, um, but we didn't know each other then. And he always says, thank gosh, we didn't know each other then. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have talked to him. Um, but yeah, we, we met at our work uh, within like the first couple years that I was working there. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was really cool. So thanks to Tui, our CEO, for <laughs> creating that company and that space for us to meet. I love that. I, we always say that too, my husband and I. I'm like, if we would have met like four years sooner, I don't know that you would have liked me very much. I'm very different. Yeah, definitely goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, are you um are you still working regular like regular job? Yeah, so I am still working at Procore. Now I work in mergers and acquisitions, uh, kind of like towards the end of the due diligence process, past, post, close, and basically I partner with um our the engineering, design, and product aspect of the companies that we acquire. And I make sure that the product itself that we purchase uh, gets integrated into Procore, whatever that may look like. Um, So I deal with like a lot of infrastructure stuff on the engineering side and plugging and playing and seeing how it's going to work and what we're going to keep and not keep. Um, So, yeah, that keeps me pretty busy. Um, But I am actually stepping away. This is actually the first time I'm sharing this publicly. Okay. (laughs) So it's kind of big news. Um, at least for me, I, I worked, you know, since I could, like, I've always, I was kind of one of those weird kids that wanted the like signed permission slip so I can work. Um, cause I thought that was like, <laughs> when really you're like 14. Cool. Yeah, exactly. I think it was like 15 and a half. You could get a signed permission slip. 
Um, so I literally have worked my entire life. I worked throughout college and, you know, even with my running and then to now, to now. Um, but right after, in a couple weeks will actually be like my last week at work. Mm-hmm. And it's more so I'm just, I'm craving like giving more time to running, but I'm also at a point where I feel confident that I can kind of marry my passion of program management with my love for running. And so I kind of have some ideas of how I can do that. That's awesome. Well, you know, I was like hesitant when I asked the question because you read something about someone and then you're like, but is she still working in that? You know what I mean? Because you never know how fast those things change. And I know you have a lot of exciting things going on with with running and you are, you know, one of a smaller pool of professional runners that do have had a regular old everyday job outside of it. How does that feel for you? Like coming off of this like long stretch of always working outside of running? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, for my personal journey, I needed to work still kind of post-collegially because I, I really didn't start, I would say committing in a, in a professional sense to running until like 2019 where I felt like my mindset, mindset was shifting. Um, and I was, I just wanted to put more time into it because after college I, I took a break and I just wasn't craving that that attentiveness, I guess, to the sport, um, or commitment. And so, you know, come 2019, I started to get really excited about it and had some big ideas for 2020. And then obviously we all had, uh, to deal with the, or, you know, managed our way through the pandemic. And so then coming to 2021, those goals kind of shifted and I felt like things were really shaping up. Um, and it really, I would say at least for trail running specifically, it wasn't until like, that 2019 post pandemic that you saw started to see more professional trail runners that were doing it full time because the sport is kind of at this nexus where it's like it's growing faster and faster each year. Um, but anyway, so I found in 2021 was the first time that I felt I was starting at the line and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm only one of a couple people still working. Mm. Uh, let's just say like the four, the, the typical 40 hour work week. Cause other people mm-hmm. have different, um, job tracks and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I felt that I have learned a lot from being in the tech space. Um, not just navigating the space, but just myself and being a professional and having to create certain programs and projects and stuff like that, that I am tenfold grateful for. And I felt that I needed Um, but now I feel that, you know, with, I'm at like seven years experience, I can step away, uh, for some time and return to it, uh, when I'm ready for that, that again. Yeah. You're at a really healthy spot to do that. I feel like just age wise, experience wise in both industries, experience with running and, um, with your tech job. What was your first job when you were 15? Um, I worked as like a bus girl (laughs) at a sushi restaurant and then in the summers I would work as a camp counselor. Uh, okay. For like a kid's sports camp. And yeah, I did a lot of service jobs, you know, all the way through college. And then it wasn't really like post-college that I, I got involved in the tech space. Um, but yeah, I have a great amount of respect for anyone in the service industry. Um, and then also just like for moms, because I worked with kids for probably mm. like eight years of my life between camp counseling to, you know, outdoor guiding to being a nanny. Um, so I feel like I got that full scope as well. Um, so yeah, I'm very impressed with moms with jobs and then also Mm -hmm. run professionally. I feel like that is the top tier (laughs) um, of 
being very <laughs> being a very impressive person. Um, but yeah, I you know I I'm excited for this chapter, and like I said, I'm like I'm going to be committing more time to running, but I'm also I feel like my confidence is high that I can do figure my own thing out. Like I have the tools to, to do that. And, um, I guess just like on the running side, I think if I would have gone professional or more professional, I guess before this, I really think I would probably would have been injured a lot. Um, Mm. because I didn't quite understand the, the push and pull mechanism that is the beauty of running when you feel like you're starting to really get it to where you can kind of become your best athletic self. Um, I feel like I, I, you never have it fully dialed down. Anyone will tell you that, but I feel like I have a better understanding of that. Yeah. So at the time when you graduated college and you were like, I'm going to take this break or maybe never come back. I'm mentally, physically burnt out. I feel like sometimes when we're in that phase, we like, we don't realize what a gift it actually is for our future self. Do you feel that looking back? Oh, a hundred percent. And like, I was at the point where I, kind of viewed my relationship with running like I I kind of resented my time Mm -hmm. that I had spent on it like I had I was trying to figure out that kind of pendulum swing and it had swung to running way too much in college in my opinion it wasn't a very healthy balance so with that pendulum swing it was yeah it was just trying to figure out to where I could keep it in kind of that middle spot to where it felt it didn't feel so dramatic. I feel like I was just a dramatic <laughs> woman uh, whose emotions were very extreme in either direction. You know, the sky was always falling for some reason. Um, and that was also, I think, in large part to just like emotional intelligence and recognizing that I'm very empathetic and I, I feel very deeply and that's okay and not trying to, to fight it all the time. So I think, you know, that emotional intelligence coupled with my professional experience in in the corporate world we'll call it that then added to where I'm at with my running now and that kind of mature and developmental process to where I am today so where I feel like there's a lot of synergy going on now yeah it's wild when you graduate college like you're still very much a youth, like, yeah. In, yeah. you know, like there's still so much brain development happening and like, you're just like launched off into the world. Like, okay, I'm supposed to do it all now. I'm supposed to know what's going on. And it's really freaking confusing. It is. I remember post college, I just got really into rocks. I like didn't know how to channel my energy and that's not to, you know, say there's anything wrong with being into rocks if anyone's into rocks, but I just remember <laughs> my mom like came to visit me and I had all these rocks laid out and she's like, Oh, and I was like, yeah. So like, this is this and this is this. And she's like, okay, how's the, how's the job search going? I was like, it's not going great, but I got this rock thing down. Um, Look at these ones from this direction. And yeah, it's like you, I feel, you know, you, if you go through what I feel like is a very typical track, you know, public school, and then you go through college, then kind of like you don't really know what to do after that and then with running too the infrastructure is always there in college Mm -hmm. you know once you get out of it you don't realize like how good that was that you had all that that support system with the physical trainers and the weight trainers depending you know what division and and level support that's pretty general though um and then you get out and you're like oh I don't have a team how do I how do I train like do it do sponsorships come to me and like how, do, how does this all work? And so I feel like if you're not like in that top five uh, finishing nationally, it's a, there's so much ambiguity to kind of 
move your way through um, and try and work through that process. And then me <laughs> not wanting to run, I was like, well, forget all of that. <laughs> yeah. New sponsor here that I am really excited about, a product that I have been using a few times a week when I need a little extra kick. It is Lifestacks. Lifestacks MCT is the most nourishing thing to add to your coffee. It's a delicious MCT creamer packed with functional, science-backed adaptogens that deliver smooth, long-lasting energy. It cuts through fatigue and boosts mood and vitality, especially when training hard or when you want to focus really hard on an interview. I actually took it before my interview this morning with Grace Norman. I had a cup of coffee with Lifestacks MCT in my coffee, and it made me feel sharp and focused. Now, this can help you with your performance with running. It can be a tool for your endurance work, like speed workout, tempo runs. And thanks to the powerful blend of functional ingredients, Lifestacks MCT puts you in the zone in a way that's helpful, but not overwhelming. It boosts your willpower so that you can keep strong for a long time. This isn't a pre-workout. It's a whole system upgrade to your health and performance. It will raise your performance baseline over time rather than just jolt and crash your system. It's vegan, keto, and uses very clean ingredients. They set out to make a delicious coffee creamer that's supportive of a healthy, high-performing lifestyle. Now, they know that it is extremely important what athletes put into their bodies, so they formulated this to the highest quality standards. Lifestacks MCT is manufactured in the United States in a GMP NSF certified facility to ensure purity, potency, and safety. They have chocolate, vanilla, hazelnut. My favorite is the chocolate. And it dissolves best in your coffee when you use a handheld frother. Who doesn't like their coffee froth? That is the best way to have coffee. I'm serious when I notice the zing and the extra focus when I use this. I guarantee you're gonna like it. So they suggest going to Amazon to make your purchase. I have the link, my special link for this in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. I will also put it in my Instagram, in the stories at lindsayhine626. It's Lifestacks Chocolate MCT. If you put that into Amazon, you can find it or find the link in my Instagram, lindsayhine626 or in the show notes of this episode at sandyboyproductions.com. All right, friends, back to the show. Your love for adventure, like motorcycles. I need to hear about this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, post-college, I feel that, again, I was – I just didn't want to run, which I feel, again, was that my pendulum had swung too too far to running and um, how it ended – I just wasn't happy with. And so I feel that I then uh, overcompensated. My love for competing it translated into love for adrenaline and, you know, pushing mm -hmm. myself. And um, so then I, you know, I bought a motorcycle. <laughs> I started spearfishing, started climbing. I started canyoneering. Um, I just like, I also got on this weird kick where I wanted to go to countries that were like, you know, it was hard to travel by yourself. Like I just wanted that challenge and I wanted to do it via motorcycle. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of like testing myself and, you know, in the moment I was like, yeah, this is, this is living. This is what I should have been doing all the time. Um, but now retrospectively that I'm past that 
I guess we'll just call it an era of Danny. Um, I realized that I was trying to like fill the void that mm. running had provided me for so long and that like actually innately what I do love is is running and all the aspects of it and competing and stuff like that. Um, but I learned a lot about myself. I think during that time I learned, relearned how important balance was to like being happy and having other things in my life. Um, and I feel like that's becoming a more and more common story for, for people, not just runners, but any sort of athlete that dives so deeply into their passion for their sport is figuring out like what that balance and happiness looks like for you. And so for me, you know, to this day, um, it's just like incorporating more activities with friends that do have a little bit of adrenaline, um, and and are that kind of adventure seeking because I that sharing that kind of like joined expression of love for the outdoors and feeling in quotes like alive whatever that may mean to each person I think is important okay did you travel by motorcycle in foreign countries <laughs> um I ended up doing a Thailand trip yeah and that was by yourself I didn't end up going by myself Okay. <laughs> yeah. I I wanted to go by myself and my parents like really didn't want me to go by myself. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about this as a mother. Yeah. <laughs> I you know, I was fighting tooth and nail. Um, but yeah, they finally convinced me to go with someone. So I did have a friend. But okay. um that was one of my most favorite trips in my entire life, to be honest. That's awesome. We did like this huge loop basically through it's this area kinda called like the golden triangle. It connects it the the whole loop itself we didn't end up doing it was like thailand cambodia and lao um but we ended up just doing like the thailand part um and we just had some crazy adventures you know the the driving out in thailand if anyone has ever been there is insane there's kind of basically no rules and so when you're on a motorcycle (laughs) you just like have to be aware at all times you know in the U.S., you kind of just assume that the road is probably going to be safe, right, as you're riding on it and people are going to abide by the laws that we have in place. But there, it's just like, it's a crazy, <laughs> crazy experience. And then at that time, I, I think it's a little bit today, too, there's a little bit of corruption in uh, some of the the police and stuff like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you would get pulled over. But all the online blogs said, like, don't. They're just trying to, like, take your cash um and so we would have to like speed through when you're getting pulled over it was a crazy experience oh my god at one point we like crashed the motorcycle because we got like run off the road by like a huge truck and that was an experience and um yeah so I'm I'm really glad that I did it and I'd love to do it do something similar like that one day (laughs) I'm also glad that you did it and you survived yeah me too Um, do you still have a motorcycle? No, sadly, the one that I bought ended up getting stolen. Um, oh, dang. I know. It was kind of weird, though, because it was, uh, again, like kind of, I guess, managing my uh, journey to feeling like I was growing up, right? Like, I was really sad and bummed. And obviously, I like did a police report and stuff like that. But at the time, I was kind of just like, okay with it. It was kind of like a weird unexpected close to that chapter um because I started to like run a little bit more and in the end I was like you know what? it's just it's just a thing you know it's an expensive thing uh yeah. but it's a thing and like I'm not hurt and you know mm-hmm. when when I'm ready to get another one I will um and I hadn't really gotten I haven't gotten another one since then um 
and it like yeah it, it was it was oddly like I felt like a sign at that time mm. that I was ready for something different okay so walk us through like falling back in love with running yeah, so it, I know that's loaded. <laughs> yeah, it's <is> loaded. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> so I essentially during this era of Danny that I keep talking about, um, I was an outdoor guide, and I was an outdoor guide for two different companies. One was we mainly worked with kids or like large groups of people, and uh, they would select like a trip. And we would do those trips with them. And usually it was like some sort of combo of backpacking, um, camping, you know, like putting up tents and stuff. And there'd be like different components of like, we'll do first aid and uh, we'll do like stargazing and canoeing and and rafting and stuff like that. Um, And then this other guiding group that I was with, um, I was primarily a sea kayak guide out on the Channel Islands. Um, That one was really cool. And that was like, more daily tours but I would go and live out on the Channel Islands which it's this cluster of islands that's kind of southwest facing off the coast of California um and you could get to there from Ventura in like a couple hours which I was living in Santa Barbara at the time and so I'd go and live on these islands for like 10 days at a time and intense intense yeah and I would um Basically, you would work like a couple of days and then you'd get like a day off and then you'd work a couple of days and then they'd bring you back. And so um, that was really cool because I got really good at kayaking. I got really strong. I was able to like whip kayaks pretty much everywhere. Um, but anyway, so there was kind of this lifestyle that ensued with that type of environment, I guess you could say. Um, and so, you know, in the morning you would guide. And then you'd get off work and then typically you'd, you'd hang out by like the campfire and maybe mm-hmm. like share a couple drinks. Um, and so this was very novel to me at first, but then I started to not like how I was feeling on a daily basis. Um, and then sometimes we'd go out for like night kayaks too, night kayaking in the caves during uh, while we were there. Um, that's all to say. So I started wanting to get up earlier before we would guide because I felt like it just felt like deja vu every day and that we weren't changing it up and so I started hiking um and then eventually I was like well I'm only getting as far as the top of this hill maybe I should start running um and so I would start jogging a little bit I was like okay let's see the next time I'm on the islands if I can get even further and so it was kind of like this incremental process of just wanting to explore and like change up my daily routine and uh I then soon found out that that was actually like a sport <laughs> that I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, and so then when I would go back home to the mainland in Santa Barbara, I started exploring the trails there. And, you know, I kind of laugh at what I would do because I would end up in the dark all the time. Like I had no concept of the trail system there and how long trail running should take. And I wouldn't take anything, you know, I would just be like, oh, I'm just going out for a run. And then I'd always end up in the dark. Um, but I just started to just fall in love with that, with that type of running, um, exploring. And, uh, you know, more and more time goes past. I, I learned about Strava and, you know, that there's <laughs> records there. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try and beat a couple of these records. And so I started doing that. And then people started reaching out to me and they're like, hey, you should really do um, like trail running. There's this trail called Nine Trails. 
Um, and so I started to, you know, dive into the the Google and uh, figure out that, you know, there's all these really long races, which at that time I thought was only, um, I, I thought trail running was synonymous with 100 mile races. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. races. Um, and yeah, I, I started finding some races and it was really cool because <laughs> I feel like I got, I got away with some stuff because I still had some leftover, you know, fitness from the years of running in college and stuff. So you know, I won some smaller races and that aspect was really cool because I never got to win anything in college. Uh, so I won like mugs, which I still have to this day. <laughs> and I was just on this tear to like win as many mugs as I could. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that kind of, I guess, encapsulates, you know, that process of falling back in love. And really it was like the adventure and the getting lost and like not really knowing what I was doing. It was, it was all very novel to me. Wow. I love that Strava was a part of your journey. Um, you are just like fearless. Do you feel, I mean, I'm sure there are some things you're scared of, but I'm just picturing myself being in the dark on a trail and like freaking the F out. Yeah. I think it was, you know, fearlessness. Um, I think I just like being on the edge and I don't know. I, I, I would say like during that time too, I just was growing more confident as a person um, because I had tried all these new things and I was, uh, I guess, conquering the fears within those things, right? Because with motorcycle, like learning to ride a motorcycle, I never really done anything like that before. So learning how to like navigate new, a new machine, essentially Uh, with canyoneering, like I had to learn to be really attentive to like my gear and, and with the water and, and learning to manage like what to take, not to take and to like problem solve. And then, um, skydiving was in there too. So like, I was never really scared of heights, but like, you know, you got to jump out of the plane at some point and you got to just trust that like your, your body's going to, you're going to know what to do. Um, so I feel like I was learning all these quick bits about myself that, you know, I, I probably learned while running, but running had come so natural to me, you know, kind of growing up, uh, that I didn't realize that those skills were applicable in these more extreme situations where the environment wasn't, uh, feeling as natural. Um, but I will say now looking back, I also am like, how did I do that? Because <laughs> like, there's for sure mountain lions in Santa Barbara that, you know, oh my people gosh. Are and I would just be like oh trekking through the night, not have a light or anything. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. I'm glad, I'm glad I experienced that though. Yeah, I know you have all these like scary experiences. You're like, well, I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you talk about skydiving, I know you had done it, but like, were you doing skydiving like regularly, and were you doing it without like a guide? Yeah, so I was like, basically with skydiving, what you do is um, you can do like two tandem jumps. I think they're within thirty days of each other. I'd have to get refreshed. Um, but essentially you do your tandems and then you could start taking your classes and I think it's about 13 dives where you're jumping out of the plane and someone else is with you but like you I mean you're you're not attached to anybody at all you do that after some classes um and so yeah but the thing with skydiving is uh I haven't been able to do it because once you like I think it's after you have to stay relevant with your license for I think it's like 60 days so if you don't jump for two months you actually have to start all over Mm. which like it seems harsh but I think is very I think it's a great rule yeah it's very safe um so yeah I 
you know, I don't have the license anymore. So I'd have to like go back and like redo everything, which like for me personally, I would also want that for myself. I wouldn't just want to jump out of a plane right now. Right. But when you're doing it regularly, it's awesome. So I think I had like, I think I had like 40 jumps or something like that. Uh, Wow. So you didn't do it once and you weren't like, okay, I checked that off the bucket list. I don't need to. Because that's how I think I would feel like I did it. Okay. Don't need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would say uh, majority of people are probably like that for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so um, we have lots of running stuff to get to still. You're a four-time member of Team USA. You've had so many big accomplishments. The first American woman to podium at OCC. Um, I know I'm just like those are just two small things in a big you know resume. Two big things in a big resume, I should say. Um so you've like when you started falling back in love, did you have those dreams? Uh, no, we'll just say no, just because I I didn't yeah. know what I wanted out of the sport. Um, I I got so I kind of got sponsored pretty quickly, and I would say somewhat mm. accidentally, um, in the sense that you know, like I was saying, that whole process of of being sponsored, I think, is really uh, gray. For a lot of athletes, unless you have an agent and like, even to this day, there's not really agents in trail and mountain running, I would say not nearly as close as road and track. Um, and so what kind of happened is I was kind of pseudo sponsored by my first sponsor, which was rabbit, um, an apparel company, which I highly recommend people checking out. It's awesome. Um, and one of the co-founders had had, um, some sort of connection with Hoka and Hoka had, learned about me from just like this one series that was happening at the time that again I kind of was just going to places that you know seemed fun and and seemed to link up with other plants that I had going on and so I won this race not knowing that you know at the time it had uh some top trail runners for that uh era and um yeah they pretty much reached out and was like hey you want this contract I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You're going to help me out to go to more cool places. Sure. Uh, I'll say yes. Um, but yeah, I would say like as an athlete, you know, I still kind of lacked some maturity in how to approach the sport and to have goals. Mm. Cause I, I, to me, like this, the space was really confusing and, you know, I have made it a point, you know, retrospectively that when new athletes come into the space, like I will reach out to them, uh, especially on the girl side and just say like, Hey, if you need help making a calendar, let me know. Because like, I personally struggled with that for years, not knowing like where to go or what was like a good race. Um, it's not like the road scene. Um, it's very, I would say the trail running scene is very oversaturated. Always has been, Mm. there's just tons of races. Um, and everything's called a championship, which makes it slightly more confusing. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it was kind of just like figuring that out. Who helped you do that? Like, how how did you figure it out? Just on my own, to be honest. Um, I like tried to reach out to people here and there. Uh, didn't get too much response. And so, yeah, it was just me um, in good old Google trying to <laughs> figure out like what would be the best place for me. And honestly, what the biggest thing for me was that I raced way too much. And so I had to start narrowing it down. And so I had to like really think about, you know, where, where was the competition at is what I started asking myself. And so I felt like that is what taught me the most. You wanted to be where the competition was. Yeah. Because I, I got to a point where, 
um, at least the races that I was picking, I felt that I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more. Um, because what it happened is like in that first year I went to Switzerland and got my butt kicked so hard. And I was just like, <laughs> what? I thought I was good at this, you know? Um, and I just got spanked and, um, how, like, how do, how do I make sure that the next time I come that I'm, I'm competitive in the front. And so, um, yeah, I just started looking at more races to try and figure that out. Yeah. So then how did you do that? Like you just started showing up at races where you knew there'd be more competition. And then at that point, it sounds like you maybe didn't know a ton about like who the competition was and, and all that. So like, where did you go to figure all that out? I guess Google. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yes, but also, like, I ended up making, like, my first U.S. team. Um, And so, to me, I was like, well, if I make the U.S. team, which that was a – felt like a huge moment for me at that time. Um, It still is to this day. But I was like, then I'll go to what is our version of the world championships, and then I will meet other runners, and I'm just going to ask them where they race all year long because, you know, I was in the States all the time. And I really, when I showed up to that world champion, I was like, I don't know who any of these people are besides my teammates. And like, they are all beating me. So they must be doing something during the rest of the year. Um, I also feel that like the media aspect of trail running wasn't quite there yet. Like it is now you could go on Instagram and you type in trail running and, you know, and a ton of people show up or like, you know, you'll get referenced or what is that called? Like when it suggests different. Yeah. Yeah. in in your explore feed. Exactly. And like, I just felt like there was five people that I knew on Instagram that were trail running. Um, So I feel that nowadays it's a lot easier than it was even just like five years ago. Well, and not to mention your, your niche, which is like the sub ultra distance. I know you've done 50 K's now, but like you really focus on those shorter (laughs) distances. Um, And that, I I assume that could be kind of confusing as well. Cause like when, like you said, you started running trails, you're like, oh, Western States, hundred milers. And there's this whole other world, which is one of the reasons you started your own podcast, the Subhub podcast, right? Yeah. When I started, um, subultures just like weren't really talked about or respected in the same way, which was, um, extremely confusing for me. Because, you know, coming from track and road and stuff like that, it's, you know, even those shorter distances, and again, like you said, like in quotes, shorter, because we're still there for two to three hours. Um, Yeah, I was just really confused. And I I knew at that time, and this is where, you know, I kind of think my corporate track of my life is that, Mm. you know, I financially wasn't dependent on running. And so I, to me, I was just going to keep doing what I liked and what I loved which was those shorter races. Um, and it was when I went to my first world championship in Italy that I was in the shorter race and like that race had a ton of fans everywhere. And then there was the even shorter races, like the, it's called the classic mountain, which is typically like an up down race. Um, that's usually like 10 to 12 K those fans were like on the roofs of these tiny huts in Italy. And I was like, why is it such a big deal here? And I hadn't quite like, you know, I hadn't had the like, aha moment, I get it. But I kind of was just observing what was going on. I was like, huh, this is really weird. Like, why is it in the US, we're so used to the 100 milers um, being kind of like the pinnacle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I look back and I'm like, okay, there's, 
I would say, number one, there's just history is probably the first thing. In Europe, there's a lot of history to their short mountain races. In the U.S., there's a lot of history to our 100-mile races. Um, the sport has just been more popular longer in mountain running, and so I felt like they were slightly ahead of the curb, probably by, like, a decade from us. Mm. Um, and for us, too, like, in Europe, already at that time in the shorter races, there was already prize money, like, in those shorter distances, where in the U.S., like, I would struggle to find any sort of prize money for those shorter distances. And, you know, uh, fortunately slash unfortunately, that's always going to be something that, you know, athletes look at when they're trying to decide on which races to do or a contributing factor. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like a few different things. Do you see that changing, like more prize money now in the smaller or in the shorter distances on the trails? Oh, 100%. I think the sport is at a really fun nexus right now in that you I kind of view it as kind of like an xy axis chart but there's kind of you know the media aspect of sub ultra and so when I say sub ultra it's anything below a 50k some people also call it trail running um or in Europe it's weird (laughs) any the shorter distances are called trail running. Any of the longer distances are called mountain running. Uh, okay. But I like saying sub ultra because to me it's a little bit more crisp and clear because <laughs> everything kind of seems like trail mountain running to some people. Um, so, yeah. So, under the 50K, the media aspect is growing. Uh, there's also just more people that are interested in the sport in general. And to me, shorter distances are more uh, dig- digestible and approachable for people who are just starting to get into the trails. It's like, a hundred mile can be very intimidating, right? It's like how many people have run more than an hour in their life? And yet, like, you know, these races are asking you to be out there longer than 24 hours, um, which is great. There's some people that will do that. But also there's this whole lineage of shorter races where you could be out there for 30 minutes or 50 minutes. And so I think for some people, that's really cool. Um, And then the money aspect, right? Like the actual monetization and professionalization of the sport, like, these shorter races are starting to have, you know, sometimes equal prize money or, or just a little bit less. Um, and so that's really cool. Hey, friends, a quick break here to thank Koala Clip for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are not already running with a Koala Clip, what are you doing? It is the easiest way to take your phone with you on the go. I have three, and I often give them as gifts for Christmas. For birthday presents. They're super simple, easy, inexpensive gifts to give. And they just clip to the back of your Razorback sports bra. I oftentimes put my ID and a couple dollars in there as well as as my car key if I'm driving somewhere to go run. Super easy to access. I've gotten really used to it and they are uh, sweat-free, water resistant. So if you are sweating like a maniac or you are getting wet from the elements outside, you don't have to worry about your phone staying dry because it will. Uh, Trust me, I've used the Koala Clip for many years in many different uh, circumstances with the weather. They also have really cute apparel now as well. I love this sweatshirt that just says runner on it. It is a super soft material. Um, They have really simple styles as well. Last year, I got my sister the Grit, Grace, and Gratitude sweatshirt. Only $31. Go to koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order at Koala Clip. That's koalaclip.com for 10% off your order at Koala Clip. All right, friends, back to the show.
we're not getting in too deep on all of your accomplishments with the sub ultra trails. I wanted to say it the crisp, clean way. Uh, we also have to talk about Boston because you just ran the Boston Marathon. And so I'm super curious why Boston, why the marathon on the roads and why Boston? Oh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's because uh, I like I keep saying I like to do hard things, so I guess I'll just <laughs> stick with that. Um, yeah, I think the road marathon has been a highly fascinating and, and a goal for me for a few years. And to be honest, I have kind of dipped out of some previous road marathon vlogs because I wasn't extremely mm. excited on the race and course itself. And so going into this year, you know, with the trials coming up, I was talking to my coach last year after my trail season, and I said, you know, what would really make me run the marathon is if I got into Boston. And I honestly said it as kind of a joke. And <laughs> um, he's like, well, let's see. Let's email, you know, the coordinator, Mary Kay. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and so he emailed her, and I honestly was like, you know what, let's look at Eugene Marathon, which was like a week or two uh -huh. after it. Um, and so I, mentally I was preparing for that race and I was like, all right, what would that look like? Is it separate starts? Blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, he just like called me one day within the, the time window we were expecting to hear yes or no. And he's like, am I speaking to Boston marathon entry? Danny Moran? I was like, no way. Are you serious? <laughs> I was like, don't pull my link, Terry. And he's like, no, I'm serious. I was like, what, what did you write? Did you like sign away my first child or something? <laughs> <laughs> to the Boston Marathon. Um, but yeah, I, I got in, which was really exciting. I think she might have appreciated my ability to, because I've always done like shorter road races and stuff and while training for these big mountain races. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite the experience. To be honest, you know, you know, now that it is done, I am very proud because it was in a historic winter where I lived and it was, mm. it was a very hard, it was probably the hardest block, honestly, I've had in my entire life, just like mentally and emotionally. I just, I was getting so, I was beating myself up before I even got to the line, which I'm normally not like that, more so because like I had been putting off my road marathon debut and like there's a, there's a time window that I really believe I could run and I knew I wasn't in that fitness because you know, the winter really just really messed me up, um, or made it more difficult. Um, and I think a lot of people got sick. And so I kind of fell into that realm too. Um, so yeah, stepping to the line, knowing I wasn't in the best shape, you know, you could only hold that chip on your shoulder for so long. And then once you're, once you're there and you take off, I'm like, well, I just got to get it done. I got to try and get my trials time. And so I really felt that I put myself in the race found a good pack, which was really fun. And uh, I, was so, I was sharing that with some people that, you know, I was actually talking to the girls I was with. They're like, wow, this is a great first marathon experience. Like that doesn't always happen. I was like, really? I, I was thinking this was just, you know, this is what normally happens. Um, but yeah, long story long, I ended up not getting the qualifier. I bonked hard out of my mind, like, you know, <laughs> really bad. Um, and looking back, it definitely was fueling like I do believe my mm. fitness was there. But, you know, it's one of those things where the time, the time really stings because I'm just like, dang, that really feels off of where I'm, where I am as an athlete. Um, and so I've been really challenging myself now because I'm starting to get ready for my mountain season. It's like, 
you really got to believe without seeing. And I feel that with runners, we are so tuned into like the times we actually run because that's what's on paper and that's the validation and mm-hmm. or where you get that validation from other people. Um, but me, I've just been really like, you know, tuning inward and it's like, no, you're actually a blah, blah, blah girl, like to whatever. And you got, you got to believe that and just know that without it actually, you know, being printed up on something. Oh my gosh. That there's so much value in, in believing that and feeling that way. And you know, you know, what's true. You knew, you knew what went down before that race. Do you still live in Mammoth? I do. Yeah. I'm planning on being there for a bit. Really? Do you love it? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Even even with this winter, I was like, yeah, this is this is really cool. It's, really? It's, it's so it's so beautiful and like world class and um, just whenever I'm really lucky with my sport and that I get to travel and see very beautiful things and I'm incredibly grateful for that. But I will say like every time I come home to Mammoth, I was like, dang, I get to live here. Yeah. I'm going to live here as long as I like I can and it makes sense, you know, for me and my partner. Because he loves he loves it too. Who do you run with? Uh, like uh, as partners, like training partners. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. just like on given day. Yeah, so there's there's a couple women in the area. I have actually a previous Team USA member. Um, her name's Christy Connect. She's there, and then honestly, uh, Tim Tolson I ran with here and there. Uh, there's a couple other guys, but my closest friend or homie is uh, Rod Farvard. He trains for ultra distances, um, and he's just like a brother to me, and he's. He's extremely inspirational, and I think we could kind of just, like, feed our energy off of each other. And I'm just at the speed that, like, makes sense for him, and he can add on, um, mm-hmm. and vice versa, to where we're we're still pushing each other. Um, so, yeah, we, that's who I mainly run with. How did you decide that's where you're going to live? Mammoth, to me, has always been kind of a... Um, my own vortex, I would say. <laughs> um, I grew up going to Mammoth when I lived in LA with my family. We'd go okay. there for the summers, and to me, I mean, that was that was the dream place. Even as a child, like I just found myself craving. Um, and I actually had tried to move there a couple times, like post college, but there wasn't there wasn't like a lot of work. And you know, remote work is it's always kind of been there, but that was very near and far. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't have any jobs like that. And so funny enough, when I was outdoor guiding, my goal was actually to become a Sierra mountain guide. And so that's why I had started to mountain guide. Um, So I could eventually like live in the Eastern Sierra somewhere. Um, But then, you know, a couple life is life throws you those fun turns. um, And I got on a couple different tracks and then I ended up at Procore. Um, And then, you know, life throws you a couple other U-turns and, you know, with, being able to work remote, I was able to finally mm. move there. And with my partner, I, I wouldn't have moved there if he didn't want to go there too, but he was really excited about it too. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. So uh, the 238, I know you're like, ah, I'm not a 238 person. You know, you yeah. know, you just said it. Yeah. Um, are you, st- are you going to go try to get it again? I think it's, I think I need to run some trail races first. Yeah. I, go I live do- that life. Yeah, I I need to I need to go out there and like do what I feel that I am supposed to be doing mm-hmm. right now. Not that I'm not supposed to be doing road running, but my soul feels extremely on fire when I'm out there romping around in the mountains and pushing myself on the downhills. Um, but that's all to say, like 
it obviously is, you know, a little Pringle trip on my shoulder right now mm-hmm. with that time that I'd like to get better. Um, so we're looking at either like a half marathon during my build to okay. OPC this year. So that'd be like in early August. There's an option. I believe it's in Camarillo. Um, that looks like I could get the time there because I un- unexpectedly almost got the time in the half when I wasn't really yeah. trying for it. You um, ran like 112, right? Yeah, 112 high, but it was one of those things where I thought I was going to run, like, 114. Yeah. I was, you know, badly doing my math and then turned the corner. I was like, oh, my gosh, that says that says 112. This is sick. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, if not, the option is probably going to be CIM just because okay. I know there's a lot of bodies to run with there. Um, the elite coordinator was actually one of my – assistant coaches in at UCSB so I know her personally um so hopefully I'd be able to get in there I know that your mind is really focused on your season coming up but in the mountains but like how do you go into that half or that or CIM like knowing who you are what you're capable of and even if you don't hit that time just being okay with it um I think it's just that for me racing in its totality is extremely fun like I just love all the components that come with racing and I've I've you know I have an an extreme empathy for people that you know get nervous for races um mm. but I have always just been excited you know and I, I like I like testing myself um and so during the during even last year I did like some track races and you know I did like a road 5k before OCC last year and to me, it honestly, it's just like, <laughs> maybe I just like answers. I like knowing where I'm at and I like mm-hmm. having those like checks and stuff. Um, so even during the mountain build, you know, say I run, say I run, knock on wood, like the same time in the half. Um, I'm like, okay, well, my leg speed's still there, you know, even while yeah. I'm running, you know, 12,000 feet of vert or whatever it is that I'll be doing weekly at that point. Yeah, because you probably had to really transition like training to run so fast for Boston. I know that's kind of an obvious statement, but that had to be a big shift. I mean, you run fast though, because you're running shorter distances in the mountains, but you're vert. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely different. The the mind shift for me with Boston was normally we'll sprinkle speed workouts kind of like once every two to three weeks, you know, with my mountain running, we kind of just touch upon it to make sure that it's there. But with Boston, like we really wanted to make sure we were moving the needle, but also that I was pace aware um, mm. because in the mountains, like it's very effort based in that, you know, you have an idea of what you could run on courses, um, but like two people could run the same exact time on a course and they run it extremely different. And so you really lean into, you know, the components of the race that make you strong. So a person could say if there's like a technical downhill and it's like, two miles one person can run 15 minutes on it and another person can run 25 minutes on it right and then vice versa on the uphill the the if they're running uphill they run uphill one person could do 20 minutes another person could do 10 minutes and so with Boston it's like no Danny (laughs) you can't Mm. be like swinging hard on the downhills which you know would maybe be my natural inclination in a mountain race like you got to keep it steady you can't run 510 and then like 620 it's like a lot more steady so being pace aware um and then honestly just pounding on the pavement because I haven't I haven't ran that much on pavement 
ever really. Did it hurt? Was it hard? I mean, the race hard, yes, but like, yeah, was the yeah. pavement hard? <laughs> um, for the mind, it was hard for me because you uh, know I'd be doing these workouts and I would see the trails. Um, and I'm uh-huh. like, no, you gotta, you gotta stay on the the road today. Um, but yeah, the the race itself though was very interesting in that I felt that my quads would be strong and that I'd be pretty okay. Um, and the quad still kind of went on like the, pretty much when I was bonking. Um, but up to that point, like they felt pretty good, which I thought was like a good sign of all the years of trail running. I thought they might actually go sooner. Um, a lot of people said like Mm -hmm. around mile, um, after like the halfway, halfway, once the downhill had kind of teetered off a little bit that you'd feel sore. Um, so I was at least proud of that. (laughs) Yeah. How did you handle like not letting the joy get sucked out of running, knowing that your heart is in the mountains? Um, I ran on the snow <laughs> quite a bit. Um, I mean, I did. I do enjoy hard asphalt workouts and being on the tarmac and you know long repeats and stuff like that. I hadn't done that many, uh, kind of like weekly and stuff. Um, and so for me, it was good music, good company. Uh, I luckily had people that would jump in here and there and, you know, I was really focused on the why, which was to get the trials marked, which that also helped. Um, but whenever I would, I could, I was running on the snow and, you know, some of the days the snow would be like up to my knees. I have some really good things on my, on my phone showing that. Um, and so that kept it fun and I would take my dog out too and running with him is, is quite fun. What kind of music do you like to listen to? Um, it depends on where I am in my menstrual cycle, but, um, Oh, interesting. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, oh, I, I got into some like, uh, classical music this winter, uh-huh. you know, listening to that. And I like a lot of like EDM style music and, um, yeah, just like a lot of beats, I guess you would say. Uh-huh. To like get, get a tempo going. Yeah. Just get the mood going. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, you're off to OCC next. What are you doing next? Yeah. So my schedule right now is a uh, Mont Blanc marathon, which I was on the podium there last year. And this uh-huh. is the second stop of the golden trail world series. And so this, the series itself, there's kind of two aspects to it. There's the world series and there's the national series. The world series is an international there's pretty much different con- different countries mostly for each race except the last two. Um, and so the first race already happened. That was the Gama. That was uh, the second week of May. And that has historically been the kickoff to the season since the series started. And then they've always followed with uh, Mont Blanc Marathon. And so Mont Blanc Marathon is roughly nine to 10,000 feet of gain over 42K. And it starts in Chamonix and ends in, in downtown Chamonix as well. And how I like to explain it is it's pretty much like if a, if a French person wins Mont Blanc Marathon, it's very similar to an American like winning Boston. It's a very mm-hmm. big race in France. And it's kind of like the warm up in Chamonix to then the famous UTMB week, which has OCC, CCC, TDS and UTMB. Those are all different distances. Um, so it's kind of like the season kickoff in Chamonix itself, like as a Mecca. Um, so yeah, that'll be my first one in June. And then three weeks after that, I'll race in Switzerland at the Eiger ultra trail. Um, and then I'll go back to OCC, which is that, that next week I'm referring to. Okay. 
So the Golden Trail International and National, since you didn't run that first one in May, you're not then eligible for the series. Uh, yes. Is that right? Yes, I am actually. Okay. Uh, so that's a good, it's a good clarification. Yeah. I'm confused. Cause like, is it like, do you have to run in X amount of races in the series to be like the top person or how does that work? Yeah. So essentially the Golden Trail World Series, it's six races each year. Three are always the same. So that is uh, Zagama, Mont- Marathon du Mont Blanc is really how you're supposed to say, but I would say Mont Blanc Marathon. Um, and then Sierra Zanel, those three are always in there. And then they change the other three each year. Um, and so this year, actually, there's two in America, Pikes Peak and Mammoth Trail Fest. Mammoth Trail Fest is new. And then uh, the other race is the Dolomites race, uh, very technical in Italy. And so the way that you qualify for the final, historically it was the top 10. Now they're doing the top 30, which I think is a great um, pivot. Because with the top mm-hmm. 10, it was fun, but like you like to have more bodies out there. Um, yeah. You have to do a minimum of two races. But you can max out your points with three races. So if I was someone that wanted to try and like win this year, you would I would want to do three races, and then that gets you if you if with those points um, you end up being in the top thirty, then you get invited to the final where then you race again, and your points are doubled in that race. So if you get first instead of a hundred points, you get two hundred points. but you can also still qualify for the final if you only do two races, which I am actually in that boat this year just because I had Boston and I'm getting married yeah. and just things are a bit crazy. And I have some other goals of uh, this year. And so I'm going to try and make it to the final just with two races. Um, so ideally, if I want to make it, I should be like in the podium or top five for both of those uh, to okay. try and be in that top 30. She's getting married this weekend. Yeah, sick. <laughs> got a lot going on this year. 2023 is a big year for you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but also just like so fun. A lot of a lot of firsts. And yeah, I'm really excited about the wedding. <laughs> oh, how big's the wedding? So we thought, so it's kind of a destination wedding because yeah. neither of us grew up in Tennessee and my parents just moved here. But um we, you know, invited roughly a little over 200 people thinking that um, only like 100 would be able to make it maybe. Um, but no, we got just under 200 people that are going to be. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You are loved. Yeah. No, we're like, this is so sweet and really nice that people are willing to come out here. Um, but yeah, no, we're really excited about that. So yeah, it's a lot with Boston, this, and then I'll have the marathon. But um, yeah. I think, yeah, you only live once. You got to oh, yeah. put stuff in there. Is the wedding on your parents' property? It's actually um, like a half mile from their house. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, so exciting. Yeah. Um, okay. What is something professionally or personally you haven't done yet that you'd like to do? I guess like goals-wise running, I'd like to win something. I'm kind of in that, you know, been the bridesmaid a couple times, but never the bride. Well, I will this weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that would be that would be really cool. Um, and yeah, I think I'd I'd like to, you know, potentially dabble in some other sports, not like competitively, but just for fun. I'm really tempted the obstacle course racing world championship is in Mammoth Lakes this year. Oh, fun. And I think it'd be fun to just like jump in that and give it a try. Um, and yeah, it's hard to say. I, I feel already so 
blessed. I, I have so many good things in my life right now, but just like spending more time with Mike and stuff, I guess. What is the best, most recent book you've read? That is very difficult. I'm actually not too big of a reader. I like have a little bit of dyslexia. And so mm. it was something that growing up, I, it, this is not supposed to be like poor me, but I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I just like growing up, I was like, man, reading is really hard. And my mom is the type of person that like, she didn't really like tell us a lot if there was something going on. And so one day I was like, mom, I think I have dyslexia. And she's like, yeah, you definitely have. So I was like, cool. <laughs> Thanks for putting me in all those honors classes. <laughs> I did. I floated. I did fine. But yeah, it was pretty funny. But anyways, that's all to say. Um, I've been listening to some podcasts. So Stuff You Should Know. I've been listening to mm -hmm. that one. Just like a couple of those episodes. So that's been great. Awesome. Um, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you'd like to sit down and have coffee to your cocktail with? I'd probably just say like my mom or my fiance, Mike, um, or maybe even my dad, whenever I could get more time with them. It's great. You're living it then. Yeah. You're living the dream. <laughs> what is your last message to leave with the audience today? Oh, uh, it's that courage can expand your world. If you can be a little courageous about some stuff. Um, I can't think of the person who said that quote right now, but that's something we were talking about of different quotes we could potentially say during our wedding. And that one just really stuck out to us and courageous, not so much in like, you know, it doesn't have to be the jumping off of, of a bridge into the water, um, but just being courageous to, you know, speak up or, or share something that you may not have shared with someone before, um, revisiting old relationships, et cetera. Um, yeah, it could just expand your horizons in your world. I love that. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. All right, friends. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Danny, for coming on the podcast. Congratulations on your wedding. Again, you guys can find Danny on Instagram. She is Dan underscore yell underscore A. You can find me. I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. Learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. That's where you'll find the show notes that can be delivered to your inbox every single week as well. Um, find me on Instagram, lindsayhine626, because I'm sharing about the show and sponsors of the show. So if you're looking for any links or anything like that, and then I also just share about my life, books I'm reading, all that stuff. Uh, and don't forget to check out my podcast for parents. Why is everyone yelling? Okay, I know you're here for the running though. So go have a great run, a great weekend, and we will see you next week on I'll Have Another.